Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Children, shalom. God bless you. It is good to be back together after the summer. And we're going to return right back to our series on 1 Corinthians. As you may recall, in chapter 2, Apostle Paul had been talking about wisdom and spiritual discernment in Christ. That we are considered spiritual. We are spiritual men and women when we come into Christ. And as spiritual individuals, and that is, we are embodied soul, so to speak. We have the body, but that body is integrated with spirit or soul. And as such individuals, we receive revelation by the Spirit of God. And Paul also says that we bear the mind of Christ. We actually have the mind of Christ within us. But now here in chapter 3, Paul talks about the lack of such wisdom and spiritual discernment demonstrated by the Corinthians. And he talks about this lack of wisdom and spiritual discernment in the context of Christian leadership. And he's pointing out the critical problem that both the people, as they regard the leadership, and the leaders themselves, as they embrace leadership. And so this is going to be a very practical teaching that we'll be dealing with today about leadership in Christ. First thing Paul says is that the church in general, both the people and the leadership, tend to be worldly, that is fleshly. Verses 1 to 4. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. And since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Paul says in verse 1 that the Corinthians are not living according to the Spirit, that is pneumaticus. Paul has been talking about the way of operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit. According to the Spirit, Pneumaticus, he says, you are still worldly. Sarkinus, that's the term for flesh. You're still fleshly and worldly. That is self-oriented. Not regarding God, not being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And you're mere infants in Christ. Napios. That's another Greek term. To talk about just mere child. And of course, in the Bible, it says that we need to be like little children, having a sense of innocence and simple-mindedness and purity and all that. But here, Paul is talking about being childish, being immature, like brats. And he says in verse 3 that the Corinthian church 
is still worldly. Here, another term, sarkikos. Also, this has to do with the fleshly way, operating in a fleshly way, acting like mere humans, kata anthropon. Now, did Paul have a problem with Christians becoming mere humans? Are we not mere humans? Is he saying that we are beyond that? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying we're humans, but we're acting as though humans in our, all our frailty and weaknesses and sinfulness. In that sense, we are nothing beyond just the flesh. But we are created according to the image of God. Therefore, we should approach God-likeness or Christ-likeness. And what is the indication here that the Corinthian church is worldly? Paul says, you are constantly engaged in jealousy and quarreling. And as a result, there's a division within the body. Some of you say, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And Paul includes his name in that. But he's saying all this nonsense has to do with idolatry of human leaders. All these worldly tendencies that we see in the church today. I wonder what Paul would say when he, if he were to see the churches in the 21st century here in Korea and in the United States and other places. What would he see as the indication that the churches are fleshly, worldly? First of all, just like Paul says, there's jealousy, bickering, arguments, strifes. This group against that group and we see tons of cases where churches break apart because of infighting, because of party spirit. The pastor versus the elders. Senior pastor versus the associate or assistant pastors. The senior pastor versus the honorary emeritus pastor, and so on and on. And so Paul is giving us a perspective. We cannot simply operate as, a, as mere humans in that sense of like, just the frailty, we're just humans, we're just sinful, that's the way we are. No, he's talking about humans rising to that state of nobility and grandeur as God created According to the image of God. We are like God. We are humans, but we are like God. Humans who are God-like. That's what Paul is saying. And that is in talking about people who are living according to the Spirit. Okay, then, what is Paul saying about leadership? What does he want to say about how we ought to operate in Christ in terms of leadership? Verses 5 to 9. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted a seed, Apollos watered it, but God has made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, 
you are God's field, God's building. So what is Paul saying leadership is all about? Basically, leadership is being servants of Christ, servants of God. Diakonoi. That's where we get the word deacon. And so as leaders, if we are servants, then we are simply instruments or agents through whom people will believe in Christ. And as servant leaders then, we're all assigned by God to our specific tasks. So he says, well, I plant the seed, Apollos waters it, but at the end, it's God who makes it grow. So he's talking about whole Christian life and maturity, the beginning point, the founding, the planting, the work of evangelism, getting people saved, planting the church. Paul says, that has been my task. Well, Apollos comes along, now he nurtures it. He disciples the group. But ultimately, the church flourishes, church matures, because it is the work of God. And then he says, each servant, if we do our works properly, we operate with the specific role and function, and God produces it, then He's going to reward us accordingly. And so if we, each of the leaders, are rewarded, awarded accordingly, then all that sums up towards the common purpose of building up the body of Christ. So there should be no competition, basically, if we all operate with a sense of servanthood. Because I'm not in charge. Christ is in charge. And all I need to do is what Christ has assigned me to do as a leader. And so in that particular body that I'm serving in, I'm a leader who has been assigned to serve others in such and such a way, exercising spiritual gifts and so forth. We will study about that in the later chapters in 1 Corinthians. And so if everyone operates the way God has assigned us to do and do team play, there should be no factions, there should be no jealousies, envy, competition. Because we're all co-workers in God's services, in God's field, God's building, which is the church. And then, Paul says the most important thing about leadership. As servants, what are we to do? What is the content? What is the essence of servanthood? And he says, beginning in verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Paul says in verse 11, once again, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. What is he saying here? 
What is it saying about Christianity? What is it saying about Christian life? What is it saying about Christian leadership? What is it saying about the ultimate purpose of Christianity? He's saying everything has to be foundationally grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we might say foundation is something that you establish at the very beginning, and then you forget about it because you put the building, build the buildings on top of that, and then foundation is hidden underground. But that's not what Paul is saying. Obviously, through and through, all throughout his teachings, and we've already studied it in chapter 1, he talked about his passion for preaching Christ crucified. In chapter 2, he says, I know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then in Ephesians 2, we, we saw him talking about the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. It seems what Paul is saying is, everything's really about Jesus. And we build everything according to Jesus in his likeness. And ultimately, that foundation is going to influence everything about the building. Everything about the future and the purpose of the church. I wonder if that is true in the church today. I wonder whether in churches or Christian organizations or mission organizations, whether we are building this institute on the foundation of Christ and being very careful that it is all aligned based upon the foundation every year and so forth. I don't know. It seems like we tend to forget it. I think we all do a great job at the very beginning. Yes, it's going to be Christ-centered. It's going to have Christ as foundation. Christ is the inspiration. Christ is the image that we're going for. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to be led by the Spirit of Christ. We say that at the foundational stage. I don't think any decent church of Jesus Christ decides from the very beginning, oh, we don't want Jesus. We'll go for money. We'll go for fame. We'll go for some secular teachings. We go for our own spirituality. I don't know of any church like that. All decent churches that I know, they always say the same thing. We want to be based upon the scripture. We want to be based upon Jesus Christ. We want to base everything upon the cross and the resurrection of the Lord. But then what happens? After two, three years of building and maybe perhaps experiencing success, they seem to forget that. Now the foundation has changed from Christ to suddenly the senior pastor or the senior elder or the pastor, the leadership who founded the church. They seem to become the center. I've seen this happening even at my own school, X University. X University was founded in 1974 by the international leaders gathering together in this tremendous international congress of evangelization. And they said, hey, let's establish a school that would represent all the nations, especially the Asian nations. And let's establish a school so that we can raise up leaders, future leaders in Asia, in Africa, and other nations. And let's let it be theocentric. Let's let it be evangelical. That is, based upon the word 
and centered on Jesus Christ. Very Christ-centered. But then what happened? After decades, the school tend to forget that. And certain leadership takes over, thinking no more about Jesus, but thinking about his stronghold, his political agenda. And then changes to another leadership, and they have their own agenda, their own political motives. And I think what is needed even in our school is for the leadership, the new leadership that has been established, very good leadership, now for us to think about asking this essential question. Is our foundation going to be Jesus Christ? Are we going to go and return back to the foundation? Back to the way it was. Back to the way it was meant to be. And are we going to align ourselves to that? Or are we going to be no different from previous leadership because they've lost the sense of foundation. Here, Paul also emphasizes on the building material, like gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw. He doesn't comment about this. He doesn't say which is good and which is bad. He just says, whatever you build with, just know, I'm giving you an analogy. You build with uh, any type of material, just know, on that day of judgment, we will be tested by fire. And fire has a way of purifying everything, or also it is a symbol of judgment of everything. So if the fire comes, are you going to survive? And obviously gold will be more refined, more purified through fire, silver, costly stone even, I suppose. But wood, hay, and straw, obviously they were just burned to ashes. So he's saying that the leaders and all Christians, we should judge ourselves based on the quality of our works. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Because Jesus will see it, everyone will see it, this is the product of your work. But he says, if it is burned up, and sadly, the builder himself will be saved, but only as one escaping the fire, barely, barely making it. I got nothing to show forth before the judgment of Christ. I come empty-handed with everything just uh, shredded and torn into pieces. I barely saved myself and presented myself to the Lord. That's a sad picture that will come upon every leader in the body of Christ. And in my age, I'm also thinking about what kind of reward would the Lord grant unto me on that day when I stand before Him. And I still have a number of years that I believe that the Lord is going to grant unto me to redeem all that I have made mistakes in the past. Anything that was simply me operating with my own sense of determination or zeal or passion or Subtly a form of fame or ego, all that is going to be burnt to ashes. Only that which is truly Christ-centered, Christ's foundation is going to stand. So we need to do a deep examination of our soul, our motives, our past track records, and the ministries 
that have been granted unto us or the responsibilities that have been laid upon our shoulders. Then Paul says in verse 16 onward, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Here Paul is talking about the building which is the temple. He's talking about the church. And the church that he has helped to build and the church that is actually functioning as God's temple is where God's spirit dwells. And therefore, if God's spirit is Holy Spirit, that means the temple is holy as well. Now, what does holiness mean? Holiness does not primarily mean, you know, like uh, righteous and, and, and pure and, and all goody-goody Christian ethos, even though that is important. Holiness, by definition, has to do with concept of being consecrated, set apart, bearing somebody else's name, belonging to someone else. That's how we consecrate ourselves to that other, and that is God. And so Paul says, watch out. You as leaders, you're dealing with something very sacred, something that has been consecrated unto the Lord. It's the church. It's not your own possession. It's not your property. It's not your ownership at all. And if you damage that church, if you defile that church, you will be severely judged by God. Because the church is none other than the holy temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Have we ever thought about it that way? The church that God has given us or the ministry that God has given us, organizations that we are involved in, it's not ours. And that's why it's so much more precious. If it's mine, I can do whatever and be irresponsible about it. It's my loss. But what we do regarding church or the holy institutions, including missions organization or, or studio like Imagokrish Studio, seminaries, even businesses bearing the name of Christ, It is exactly because it is not ours that it is consecrated unto the Lord. That's why it's precious. And we have to be reminded constantly, it's not my stuff. It's not my possession. It's not my ownership. It belongs to the Lord. And that's why in the final passage, Paul talks about this divine ownership in this way. Beginning with verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no one boasting about human leaders. No more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. 
and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So now he's returning back to that theme about wisdom and discernment. And he's basically saying that anything that has to do with attributing glory to human wisdom and pride, fame and glory, and boasting about human leaders, even the founding leaders, even the charismatic leaders, even the most prophetic and apostolic of all leaders, even the great saints in the history of the church, we should not glorify in that. We should not boast in that. And he also says that everything that Christ has gained for the church is for the benefit of the church. So everything of Christ belongs to us. All is yours, he says. Even I, Apollos, Cephas, we are yours. We're, we're servants of Christ. Hand it over to you. But this does not mean that we become possession of the church. We become possession of the people that we minister to. Because the center is not on the church. The center is not on the people. As important as the body of Christ is, as important as the church is, as the community of believers, that is not the center. Because even the church belongs to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So this is the logic of Paul's thinking. He says, everything that has, Jesus has gained for you, all the benefits is for you. All of those belongs to you. You have the inheritance along with Christ. You are the co-heirs with Christ. If Christ gained it for His glory sake, then we share their glory. He's willing to give it to us. Everything is for you. But remember this. At the end of the day, everything that you own, everything that you have, everything that you possess is not yours. It's Christ. And Christ hands it all to God the Father. That does not belong to Christ either. Because what the Father has given to Christ, Christ hands it all back to the Father. So let me now try to redefine leadership. Leadership in the body of Christ has to do with simply the attitude with which we operate, and that is that of servanthood and humility. And we're saying to the Lord, I'm not a leader because I'm the head honcho. I'm a leader because I am that, that channel, the means by which you will flow, and I am simply the agent of your ministry. That's what leadership is about. And the whole idea of our leadership is, as a result of doing that, I cannot possess any of this. All of these are given to the people. And then ultimately, all things are gathered back and handed back to the Lord. So you see, a leader as a servant is simply somebody who mediates. He's kind of like the broker between God and the people. And he says, this is the best deal you could possibly have. Let me introduce you to this God. I introduce you to this Christ. And acts like the broker or the mediator so that the people can be linked to God. 
That's what a leadership is. And if we can operate with this kind of philosophy of leadership, I don't think we would have any problem trying to hoard, trying to possess, trying to dominate, trying to make it mine, trying to control the people, have infighting, jostling for the top position, grabbing the biggest portion of the pie, No, I don't think all these problems will become obsolete if we really understand what the leadership is about. So in that sense, Paul is saying, the Lord gave me a revelation as to what leadership is about, how we are to serve the body, and how we are to be accountable to Jesus Christ at the end. And therefore, in the process of this, we can salvage the church from being torn apart and breaking the unity that Christ envisions for his body. Amen? Amen. So we need to seriously think about the understanding of leadership from the perspective of Christ. And that is servant leadership mediating between Christ and the church and at the end returning everything back to Christ and I and you and all of us in any form of leadership stepping out of the picture so that Christ will be glorified. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.